0: With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. It's the start of a brand new week at work for everyone except Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who is enjoying his first day of redundancy after the Manchester United board finally pulled the trigger and decided that enough was enough, legend or no legend, It was time for Ole to go. That is understandably going to be the focus of today's Football Social Daily. And if you want to keep up to date with the picture as it develops, as it unfolds over the next few days and weeks, there is no better place to do it than on this daily podcast. Subscribe or follow. We'll make sure you get the most informed and the most up-to-date news when it comes to who is going to be the next man in the job at Old Trafford. To talk us through that on today's show, we've drafted in Manchester United fan and sports social journalist, Joel Tudor. How are you doing, Joel? Good morning. I can finally show my face again. You sound quite chipper. I can already sense in your voice. I've got a bit of a spring in my step, to be fair. Well, that gives a hint of what's to come. Noel McCorn alongside him. How are you doing, Noel? I'm
1: good. I'm not quite feeling as cold as Joel is. I can see his heart is, is slowly dude, unfreezing.
2: Feeling all warm <laughs> inside today. Dude. It's, it's essential really heating or something.
0: It's really interesting, the kind of mood when you judge it on social media. It's half and half. It's people are pleased that Solskjaer's gone and they've moved on but they feel sorry for him as a man and they're kind of like almost this hasn't dented your legendary status at the club this your failures are down to the board rather than Mm. you as a manager it's really interesting it's quite a unique situation in football we're going to talk about it in a minute we're also going to talk about transfers on today's podcast with a potential move for Mason Mount being mooted and as it is the Monday after the weekend's action we will wrap up today's podcast with a quick game of heroes and villains from the weekend's action as well. But let's start off on Football Social Daily. But let's start off on Football Social Daily talking Ole out. Well, Ole gone. Solskjaer has been sacked. Is this a surprise, Niall? Is it kind of overdue? We knew it was going to happen and we joked before the weekend came, oh, we've Manchester United lose to Watford, that's it. Thinking that Manchester United would not lose to Watford. But then 4-1 loss and Ole's looking for a new job.
1: Yeah, I think that you can't lose 4-1 to Watford in the manner that they did. And with the performances being the way they have recently and not expect some sort of change to happen, even though Manchester United have been somewhat reluctant to pull the trigger on Solskjaer, so to speak, especially after the losses to Liverpool and Manchester City, in back-to-back home games before the international break, a lot of people felt, particularly after the Liverpool game, that maybe that was the right time to make a change. And we've seen it and said it before on Football Social Daily that the international break is a really good time to make a change of management because you've got two weeks where the players are away on international duty and when they come back, they can come back to a fresh start and it actually gives you your management team, whoever you've brought in a couple of weeks to get their feet under the table and maybe start implementing philosophies and all the rest of it. They decided not to do that. They decided to leave it through the international break. And I think probably Solskjaer knew that an adverse result against Watford might result in a change in management. I think you could probably see it in his eyes, actually, sadly, by the end. And it's disappointing for Manchester United fans and for the man himself because he wanted the best for the club. You know, he's a, he's a Manchester United fan. He's a Manchester United legend. That will remain, despite the fact that it's ended in rather unsavoury circumstances, particularly in terms of results on the field. Off the field, I think he's conducted himself brilliantly with class, with respect, with dignity. Doing a parting interview with Manchester United is something very rare that we've not really ever seen, I don't think, since we've been doing this podcast. No. A The manager doing a... A goodbye interview. Not necessarily
0: wise, I'm not sure either.
1: Well, I think by all accounts, he actually asked to do it. He asked the club Mm. to do it. And I think that's the measure of the man himself. It is unusual. It is left field, but certainly it left many a Manchester United fan feeling emotional. But as I said before, losing 4-1 to Watford, and it could have been 4-0 in the first half, to be fair. That first 45 minutes was a real turgid, shocking display, really, from United. And they needed to pull their socks up in the second half. They did so. Donny van der Beek came on, tried to make an impact. They pulled one back, but Maguire gets sent off after another poor individual error from a Manchester United player. And then they crumble at the end. And, you know, losing games is part of football. I think Solskjaer mentioned that in a post-match interview recently, but it's the manner in which you lose. And to lose 5-0 to Liverpool, 2-0 to Manchester City and now 4-1 to Watford, a side who only got promoted from the to the Premier League from the championship last season I think that you have to suggest that from the recent form losing five out of the last seven games and the manner of the defeat against Watford it's probably no real surprise but it's sad and um, I think that he wanted the best for the club as I say it's unfortunate that it didn't work out but that's the ruthlessness of football and as you say he'll be on the hunt for the next job wherever that may be.
0: Watford were excellent, by the way. Look, give them their dues. They were Apart as... from Ismail
1: sum, missing two penalties <laughs> yeah, apart in the first from 10 minutes.
0: But Watford were as good as Manchester United were bad. If you want a review of the game, we're not going to get dug into the details, but if you want to look back at that game, then Fergal and the boys were on last night doing the post-match review from the weekend. You can find that on the feed now. But Joel, you're a Manchester United fan. I've already hinted you're satisfied with this decision from the board. Do you think, well, firstly, how do you feel? Is it the right move? And do you think Manchester United have a plan from here? Do you think there is an idea? Is of there who a plan at next? all? Well, that's it. That's the question. <laughs> that's something that's been leveled at the board quite a lot. But do they know what's going to happen from here?
2: Does anyone know? Well, clearly the club didn't know what was going to happen next week, considering they waited until after the international break mm. to actually do anything, which kind of says everything you need to know about what's going on at the top of the club. When you look at, it, in terms of how I feel, if you look at it from like a sentimental personal point of view. I don't think there'll be a United fan who looked at that interview and thought, I'm so happy he's going Mm. because he's probably the only manager we've had in the last decade where you look at him and he actually genuinely wanted what was best for the club. It wasn't like a Mourinho where he knew in those three years, it doesn't matter who he gets, he just wants success. And if he goes after that, no matter how the club is in that time after him, he's done his job. Whereas Solskjaer is probably the only manager who's gonna leave the club in a far, far, far better position than what he's left it than what he found it, even with Alex Ferguson. He left the club, you know, with players who were on the way out, they were reached the peak, they were starting to turn off. Um, every other manager's left it in an absolute state. Whereas now, he leaves it for the next guy who is ready to go on and probably challenge, bearing a minor two or three little additions. And I think that's testament to the guy he is. I think History will look back on his time kindly.
0: Isn't that also testament to Ed Woodward and testament to the Glazers? And they get zero credit for what they do at Manchester United. And I understand the narrative around that, but there's investment in a squad there that has been improved. And the man managing that squad hasn't been right, but the players
2: are there. For this season, I'd agree in terms of, you could say this summer he's got the plays that he needed in Ronaldo, Rafael Varane, Um, Jaden Sancho I mean any manager who got those players Mm. you'd say right we've done our job now and I, I agree this season was the season where you could look at Solskjaer objectively and say this is your side now let's see how far you can take it and that's why I feel it was justified to let him go because maybe last year last summer was an absolute calamity let's not forget you got Donny van der Beek who I felt was like a board signing where just because Real Madrid kind of were interested, they felt he had to get him and he didn't use him in the end, which shows that he wasn't really someone who he truly wanted or trusted.
1: Mm. Would you not say that more about Ronaldo? Because Manchester City Mm. were definitely interested in Ronaldo.
2: Well, it's been a case for many years now where United seem, Ed Woodward seems to have this kind of ego about him where, when a better club such as, well not a better club, a better team such as City are interested in a player, they kind of jump to it as if to say we're meant to get him because mm. City are interested in him. It's happened with Sancho, I'm oh sorry, Sanchez. It happened with uh, Harry Maguire. Ronaldo, I feel like there's an element of because City wanted him, we're going to get him rather than does he fit our team? Um, I think I feel like with Ronaldo, I'd rather have him than not have him. But last season we got Donny van der Beek, Edison Cavani on deadline day, um, Ahmad on deadline day, that wasn't a planned summer at mm. all. It was calamity. So this this summer, to be fair, the Glazers and Edwardwood Ed did their job. They got the players that he wanted. And I feel like it's justified the way it's gone because the table started to turn after the Aston Villa game that we lost. I could see it when I was at the game. The players were walking. There was one instance where I knew changed. When Sancho lost the ball, Edison Cavani blasted past him from the striker position and went to retrieve the ball. And that's when I knew they're not working hard enough, they're not inspired by no. the manager, and things need to change after that. The writing was on the wall after Liverpool. Um and how can I don't understand how you would wait for a Watford game to say now's the right time to let him mm. go. Well the it comments makes zero sense. the comments
0: after the game from David De Hare, for example. They suggest that was a team that had stopped playing for Solskjaer. Like right. you can't come out in an interview and go, "We don't know what we're doing with the ball. We don't know what we're doing out the ball," because that is pointing yeah. the finger.
2: That you can tell the players are lost completely. Like they don't know they don't know what they're doing on the pitch. And if you've got a, a keeper who can see the whole pitch, mm. can see what's going on, like Niall said before, he saved two penalties and he's waiting for a reaction from his players. And suddenly, Harry Maguire, the captain, gets sent off. They can see four goals. I mean, it shows everything that needs to be said. Mm. The team are just not well coached at all. And that's why I feel like we've got a good crop of players, but we need a, an elite manager because Solskjaer's reached his level at this level um, to take us to the next level, which he cannot do. Who's that manager
0: going to be then, Niall? Because I think for the reasons we've outlined over the last 10 minutes, it doesn't feel like this was necessarily a planned decision. It doesn't feel like they, the next manager is lined up. There's loads mm. of people being linked. Zin is in Zidane has been linked with the Manchester United job for ages. It feels like he's distanced himself slightly. Mauricio Pochettino, he's the favourite at the moment. Brendan Rodgers, I heard he's expressed an interest in the role, whatever (laughs) that means. Ten Hag in the mix... Uh, George Mendes, he says he wants Sevilla Coach. But you say George Le- Mendes wants it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? You get it. So, I mean, there, there's a fair few names in there. Ronaldo as a player manager, who knows going to get it? So, I mean, who do you think's most likely to walk into that job at the moment?
1: Well, at the moment, it's Michael Carrick. And he'll take charge of Tuesday's game, tomorrow's game, in fact, mm. against Villarreal, away from home in the Champions League. And that looks like it's probably going to be the case for the Chelsea game as well. I can't imagine they'll get someone in place by Chelsea, which is next Sunday. A huge game, by the way, for Manchester United because I think, what are they, 12 points off the top at the moment? If they lose to Chelsea, that gets extended to 15. And we know the Premier League's a funny league and if you get a run together, you can soar up the table. But to make up 15 points on a team like Chelsea, if United are truly going to be title challengers, maybe that boat has now sailed, who knows? But it's going to be a hell of a task. Don't want to tempt fate, though, because you know what these things are like when managers get changed and... You know, interim bosses come in, sometimes you get some weird results and it it wouldn't be too much of a shock, I suppose, if Manchester United went and beat Villarreal and beat Chelsea um, just because of this new manager bounce. But the way they're going to do it is they're going to put an interim manager in charge until the end of the season.
0: And then Do you gonna... think that's going to be to the end of the season? You don't think anything's going gonna... to. Well, be a this permanent
1: this, manager? this this is what the club statement said within Solskjaer's dismissal. It said we will put Michael Carrick in charge for the time being until we find an interim manager until the end of the season. Now, say what you want about that. A lot of people have had question marks over the club appointing an interim manager before then going to appoint another interim manager. So Carrick's the yeah. caretaker. Then it's interim <laughs> to the end of the season, and then a clean break in the summer. Which where a a Solskjaer's role in and the start. first place? Let's not forget. Well, he, he, he did so well; they could manager. not give him the job. Could. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, after the start he had, he he forced their hand. And you're exactly right, Jim, that was the plan. So the difference is, at this moment in time, the landscape is a lot thinner in terms of managers than it was maybe even four or five weeks ago. Where if you look at someone like Antonio Conte, who could have been an option for Manchester United, perhaps 18 months, like he's got a contract at Tottenham for 18 months, would have been perfect. Six months now Mm. until the end of the season and then another year. And if things don't work out, then you can sabotage there. Um, But he's off the table. He's gone to Tottenham Hotspur. Zinedine Zidane, as you say, uh, doesn't really know English. He's learning English, allegedly, and has never really been interested in the Premier League. He wasn't asked about coming to England as a player, was happy to stay at Juventus and Real Madrid, understandably so. Um, And he's obviously been a Real Madrid manager and won multiple Champions Leagues. He's linked. Brendan Rodgers, uh, his Not exactly had a great season with Leicester, but what he's done there in the time he's been there since he arrived from Celtic has been very, very good. Won in the FA Cup last year, fifth in the last two seasons. So there are good, credible names out there. But are they names which will be right for the Manchester United job and the Manchester United project? That is another question. And I think that's a deeper question, which we could do a whole new podcast Mm. on. But some of the names that you've mentioned, Rodgers, Zidane, uh, Ten Hag Hag—Ix Ajax is a name that seems to be popular amongst the fans, particularly on social media. And also Maurizio Pochettino, which seems to have grown in popularity this morning, especially on social media with rumours that he's unhappy at PSG and he's ready to quit to come to Manchester United. So there's a few different options and avenues, but it's hard to distinguish whether it's actually going to be the case where they go for a manager for six months... Like what the statement suggested, and then get someone different in the summer, or do they just go for it now? Mm. Just get Pochettino now, get him in now, it's and a, then give him more time. It's a tough, tough question,
0: really. It's a long time to go between now and the end of the season to trust an interim manager There's like Michael Carrick, who has tw- very
2: little. Twenty-six experience. games to go. It's the main bulk of the season, isn't mm. it?
1: There's two thirds of the season left and, you know, we've still got Christmas to come. So, you know, it's a big decision. I mean, if you decide to go interim till the end of the season and it, you end up in a similar position to Solskjaer, someone does really, really well and then you have to give them the job. It's, it almost seems as if if I, was, if I was in charge of these conversations, which obviously I'm not, I would be saying, forget the interim thing and mm-hmm. just go and get a manager to come in now and do the job immediately Mm -hmm. and then you know six months say it's Pochettino for example six months of Pochettino is better than six months of an interim manager who might not be there next season anyway so if you're talking about the players getting on side with a project are they more likely to listen to someone who they know is going to be there for two three years or are they going to listen to someone who's going to be there for six months or does it really matter because he's gone in the summer anyway I think it's an interesting mental and um, sort of mentality question as well to be had there but if it was me I just I don't know who but just go and get someone and give them an 18-month or two-and-a-half-year contract and let them work now rather than putting an interim in place. But that's the, that's the route it looks like United will go down.
0: How did Manchester United not balls this up again, Joel? Because they've ballsed it up a lot recently. When you look at the succession of managers since Alex Ferguson left, I think David Moyes felt like when he was appointed, I think most people felt like that was a good appointment. It was a good long-term position. It didn't work out for whatever reasons, but it felt right since then. Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. The general consensus have been these aren't the right appointments before they've even been made. And Manchester United have still made them and it hasn't worked out. It feels like they've already got this one wrong because the man they needed at Manchester United, in my view, was Antonio Conte. But Daniel Levy saw that coming. He knew that Conte was free, he was available and he knew he had to make a decision on the future of Nuno Espirito Santo to get Conte in before Manchester United had to make that decision. So it feels like they've already messed it up to a certain extent. What do they do now to make sure that doesn't get any worse, that they get the right man?
2: I think based on what you've just said, I think that's the reason why they want to wait until the end of the season because they've been backed into a corner now. It's a corner that they didn't expect to be in three months ago when they gave him a three-year contract. So now... I feel like they have no choice but to make sure that they really thoroughly look at all of the candidates and understand because this next appointment is pretty is I think it's one of the most important appointments in our last decade because we've literally got a team now for the first time since our 2012 20, uh, 2013 uh, season when we won it. It's the last it's the first credible team who can I think, genuinely challenge the likes of Chelsea, Liverpool it, and City. It's
1: definitely a better team than what Mourinho left. Oh, easily. No easily,
2: And I think that's why I said, I think history is going to look back on Solskjaer's t- time, let's say in one to two years, and we'll see how good this team really is. Because ev- like Louis van Gaal's side, where we had Schneider and Schweinsteiger, mm. all go. But
1: it's not even the players in that situation, Joel. Under Mourinho, it was the toxicity around the club. I think the whole whole of Manchester could feel it. You know, we've spoken about it on the podcast, Jim, where, you know, it felt like there was this grey, gloomy cloud over Old Trafford when Mourinho was there. And as soon as he he left, that toxic fog kind of lifted. And And Solskjaer said that in his parting interview. He said, I'm pretty good at that, building a culture within a squad. And I think, in all fairness to Solskjaer, we're going to pick positives out of his tenure. It definitely does feel like there's a more positive vibe around, obviously not in recent weeks with the results and stuff, but on the whole, in the three years, it's a better squad it's a better mentality. It's a better vibe around the place. People actually enjoy watching and playing for Manchester United now, whereas maybe under Mourinho they
0: didn't. They needed Solskjaer as the buffer between...
2: He was the bridge. Yeah, he between... was the bridge to make things a little rosier because, like he said in the interview, he the environment's better now. Yeah. All the players have come out and said how much... On their social medias, how much of a great guy he is. And he's not alienated anyone. He's not put Schweinsteiger in the reserves. He's not felt falling out with Paul Pogba. Everyone's kind of galvanized, but you mm. just couldn't get them to the level that they need to get to. And that's fine. It happens in football where a manager just reaches his ceiling. You need to, it happens in business everywhere. You need good leaders to take you to the next level and compete constantly. And I don't I don't I don't think any United fan will hold a grudge to him unless you're these kind of weird Twitter ones who like <laughs> think his legacy's tarnished or something. Absolutely not. And I definitely think in two years, let's say for for me, if Pochettino takes over, he's got an amazing set of young players mm. there. Like Jaden Sancho, one of the best players in Europe, young players last season. you got Greenwood, Rashford. The team is ready-made to go. And I feel like Solskjaer has just left a really nice foundation, probably the best foundation any manager could want. And I think that's why we've got such a good crop of potential managers now. I think some managers will look at the team and think, I don't have to do a two to three-year revamp, mm. like what Van Gaal did, like what Mourinho did. They're ready to go. Um, and for me, if Pochettino comes in, who's my favourite? He's got he's got a team which I think matches him in terms of really young talent. He's got some players who are experienced. But this is the reason why I don't think Pochettino may want to come now. And that's due to the fact that he may want to get a trophy under his belt before he comes, which all the other candidates have at the moment. Tenar's got lots of titles, Brendan Rodgers has got a few titles under his belt, maybe Pochettino just wants to come in and be like, I'm a champion, I've come in, I've got my title, no one can question that, but I think he's the only candidate right now who could come right now, mm. because I feel like he's desperate to come back to the Premier League, and I don't think, P- PSG is not a good club to uh, justify how good a manager is, because Thomas Succo got sacked a year ago, um, Laurent Blanc is a decent manager, he got sacked, is a great manager, he went um, it's not a good club to kind of scale how good of a manager you really are.
1: Well, yeah, you need to win the Champions League at PSG. Yeah, that's the okay.
2: bare, bare minimum well, they're, they're there. They're 11 no, points no ahead
0: already it. in the yeah. league with, what? They're going to win the league, basically. basically. Yeah, it's done. Yeah, <laughs> it's done. Yeah, yeah they are. We'll keep you up to date with the latest as it unfolds in terms of the next Manchester United manager on Football Social Daily. Make sure you have subscribed, click follow, whatever it is you have to do in the podcasting app that you use and you'll get the next show as soon as it's ready. We're going to move on in a second, but just time to tell you that we have teamed up with Beer 52 ahead of the festive season. Christmas is creeping up on all of us. And we all know the most important thing about Christmas is making sure you've got a well-stocked fridge, right? (laughs) Not just for yourself, but also when you get those various random visitors in over the Christmas period who demand weird drinks. So (laughs) if you were coming round to Chez Salverson to my house for Christmas, what would be your go-to drink now? What would you ask for?
1: Well, hopefully not an ale that's been kept in the fridge, because that is uh, ale (laughs) drinker's cardinal (laughs) sin number one, is you keep ale at room temperature. No, over Christmas... You know, I do quite like a, a cold lager. I do. Mm. I'm not. I'm not always a lager drinker, but I do think at Christmas you can sink a few nice cold lagers. Yeah. yeah. Um, when nice the weather's nice, or something well, like yeah, that. Yeah. When yeah, when it's crisp outside. Yeah. So something maybe German or even something something Belgian, maybe uh, from Europe. So yeah, that would be my drink of choice. I think.
2: What are you having, Joel? Oof, good question. Depends on the mood. Um, I do like a good tea Maria. <laughs> coffee and cream <laughs> so, Bailey's so that's good, man is he I oh, won't we'll yeah, see that absolutely. coming just, just you know one little ice cube in the Not shaken, not
0: stirred. (laughs) Right, well, whatever it is your guests want over Christmas, as long as it's beer and not Tia Maria, you can get it. Oh, yeah, but I do like a beer, if that's the topic (laughs) we're doing. You can get it with a little bit of help from Beer 52. So Beer 52 is a beer club that sends you great beers from around the world every single month, right up to your door. You can pick light beer, you can pick dark beer, or if you can't make up your mind, or you want something for those visitors that might not like what you like, you can get yourself a mixed case as well. So even if your thing is a fruity IPA, which is what I'm into, by the way, I like a fruity IPA, but then your cousin pops around and asks for a caramel porter or something along those lines, you can go, (laughs) sure, I've got you covered, I've got one in the fridge. So here's the deal with Beer 52. If you're new to Beer 52, you can get a box of eight beers for free just by paying the postage. But even better than that, because you listen to Football Social Daily and we love you, we're going to sort you out with two extra bonus beers in that box, so that is ten free Beers. All you have to do is pay the postage of 5.95. pounds 95 Head to beer52.com forward slash football, get there before the 17th of December, place your order. And Beer52 will send you that crate of 10 free beers. They'll give you a craft beer magazine as well, a a few snacks thrown into the box too. It's the ideal thing to fill your festive fridge up over the festive period and also makes a really good present for your dad if you don't think he needs any more socks or novelty golf balls (laughs) or something like that. Go to beer52.com forward slash football. After redeeming the first case, you'll join the monthly beer club, which is £24 a month, but there's no minimum commitment. You can cancel at any time if you don't want to be part of it anymore. If you just want your free beer box, you can take that and leave, or you can carry on and continue to get different craft beers, dark or light or both, delivered to your door every single month, which feels like a bit of a no-brainer to me. But do what you want to do. Go and check it out, beer52.com forward slash football. We're going to get back onto the football next. We're going to talk about some of the transfer rumours. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily.
2: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
0: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Let's talk transfers. We've talked a lot about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, so we'll rattle through the transfer section on today's podcast. There is rumours in Spain right now from a Spanish footballing magazine called, I think it's pronounced, Fijas. Is that right? Oh. You speak a little bit of Spanish, now. F-I-C-H-A-J-E-S. I would have gone for Fijajes. Wow, Fijajes? <laughs> well, anyway, it's Something a football like magazine. That. It's based in Spain, and they think that Mason Mount isn't feeling the love at Chelsea at the moment. And that lack of love has alerted the attention of some big clubs, including Manchester City and Bayern Munich and Real Madrid, who are all potentially interested in bringing Mount. I mean... It feels like a weird one this, Nile. that Mason Mount could be on the way out of Chelsea. He's a Chelsea lad. He feels like one of their most promising young players, still only 22. Chelsea would be foolish to let him go, wouldn't they?
1: Yeah, and I don't see any truth in this. I don't know where this Spanish newspaper's got this from. I mean, what's their link to Mason Mount? Because according to the report... I guess it's the Real Madrid interest. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I guess... I guess it's one of those things where, why yeah, like you say, why would Mason Mount leave Chelsea right now? He's missed a few games because he had his wisdom teeth taken out and he had a bit of pain in his mouth and so he wasn't able to play or really concentrate on playing for a couple of weeks. Mm. So he missed a game or two before the international break. He withdrew from the England squad due to that pain. He's had those wisdom teeth taken out and he'll be back in the Chelsea fold before too long. Now, I find it weird to suggest he's not feeling the love. I mean, Thomas Tuchel is not shy to make changes to the Chelsea team. You look at someone like Trevo Chalabar, who's a young player who's been given games. Um, You know, Ben Shilwell, who was rested due to mental tiredness, according to Thomas Tuchel, um, for a large chunk of the start of the season, has come back and hit the ground running, to say the least. He scored loads of goals from that left-back position. So... I don't think Mason Mount is being neglected or even underused. And he's a very good player, Mason Mount. There's no doubt about it. One of England's finest young players. I can't see him leaving Chelsea. Chelsea could be on course for a Premier League title. It'll be Mason Mount's first domestic title, especially as as a league champion. He's won the Champions League. He's an England regular. I mean, a, a move to Real Madrid or Bayern Munich might light the eyes up. But why would he leave Chelsea? He's worked hard to get into that position. He's made that position his own at times. Obviously, it's a competitive squad at the moment. I just don't see, as you say, why Chelsea would let him go, for one. And secondly, why he would want to leave. So I'm not sure if I believe this too much, particularly in January, with the January window coming around the corner Mason Mount leaving Chelsea in the January window would be the biggest story of the January yeah. window by far so I can't see that one happening I can understand why clubs would be interested in him because he's a very good player but in terms of actual concrete evidence of a move away from Chelsea I'm not buying it
0: I guess it could be a contract issue we've seen big name players come into Chelsea over the last 12 months they will no longer there will no doubt be on the Big money as well. And whether Mason Mount's contract matches up to the likes of Romelu Lukaku, we don't know. We're not inside the Chelsea accounting department. But is this an issue that Chelsea have in general, Joel? That you get it with a lot of teams. They have such a wealth of talent available. They have so many players. And let's not forget, Chelsea have got Conor Gallagher and uh, Billy Gilmore out on loan at the moment. So there's good young players that can't even get anywhere near the team. That when you have this wealth of talent available, it's really difficult to keep everyone happy.
2: It's a really good problem to have though, and they're all top, top quality players. I don't really understand where this this story's come from. I feel like it's just an international break kind of <laughs> click bait paper talk nonsense, but um, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do for your newspaper. Um, but honestly, if you're gonna look at this objectively and think, okay, it could happen, like you said, I feel like Conor Gallagher's a player who's kind of ready made to fill those boots a little mm. bit because he's looked so impressive for Crystal Palace this year. Um Probably one of the players who went under the radar when he went on loan. I don't think many people would have expected him to end up in the England side by November. Um, and I think that's testament to how well Vieira set up that Crystal Palace side. It's been probably one of my favourite teams to watch so far this season. Um, but yeah, Mason Mount's a player who has been a kind of kingpin in that side. He's been one of the main midfielders that Thomas Tuchel's trusted, especially since that Champions League win. Um, he's a regular fixture for England, which is obviously related mm. to how well his Chelsea form is. So it makes zero sense to me why you would jeopardize any of that while his stock's super high at the moment. It would cost. And go.
1: He would cost the club at least eighty-five million
2: at least, because uh, that's un- what his value to them is, isn't he's it? He's under contract until twenty twenty-four. So it's no poker contract games, then, is it? Really, it's more a case of just. He signed a five-year
1: deal in twenty nineteen, so he runs out of his contract in twenty twenty-four, I think, and. That's that's madness. I mean, he might just want a few more quid, mm. which is understandable.
0: Oh, yeah. Essentially, I mean, we're saying this is bull, aren't we? <laughs> Pretty oh, much. I don't buy it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's call it bull, and let's move on. Let's move on to a report in the Liverpool Echo, who are saying that Rafa Benitez is looking to splash some cash this January, which you can see considering how Everton are doing at the moment after a decent start after Benitez they've really dropped off in recent weeks so if Benitez is going to be given a I think war chest is the common term isn't it heading into hate, January I love hate. that cliche Do Do you know your what?
2: War chest.
1: <laughs> I might buy a cliche bell for Christmas
0: have we lost our cliche bell? it
1: must be around somewhere is it in the drawer, Jim Oh, yeah. This is some you live rummaging. No, not a war chest. We Well, Joel, you're new to the sport social team or relatively new. So, when we first started doing Football Social Daily, we used to have a cliche bell, which is just a like a service bell that we would ding every time someone says a football cliche. Have yeah. you
0: found it? No, I found 25 pens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 drop it on the floor. Yeah, we don't have a cliche. I, I'll anymore. buy one as All our right. sport social Christmas gift. I'll get one.
0: I think it cost me about three quid on eBay that right. one while I got Okay. It. Right, so anyway, Liverpool, um, Echo, reporting Benitez has some money to spend in Everton. If he does have money to spend,
2: what does he need to spend it on, Joel? Uh, it's a weird one at Everton because I'm just looking at their injuries and they've been pretty unlucky with injuries. <laughs> I mean, you've got Domin- Dominic Calvert-Lewin's been out for a good, like, six weeks. Um, Decore, who's been one of their main powerhouses in the midfield, has been out for a long time. Richarlison's been in and out. Yerry Mina's been out. Tom Davis has been out. Like, they have a long string of injuries. Which Demari is, Gray's injured Yeah, Demari now, Gray's it? injured, and he he was in incredible form when he first signed him. The only worry I have with Benitez is that when you sign players like Demari Gray and uh, Andros Townsend, they're kind of like what I would call flavour of the month type players, where they'll have an amazing October, they get five goals, they get player of the, player of the month, and then suddenly they just die off yeah. for a good two months. And that's not to say the bad players or the bad quality, but that's what separates the best from the rest, that they can continuously do it week in, week out. And I think um, he's been really unlucky with injuries. And I feel like, you know, when Dominic Calvin lewin comes back and I, feel, I think he got, what, like 18 goals last season in the Prem, which is a really good return. If a striker like that is out of your side for a good period of time, of course you're going to suffer. And of course you're not going to get as many goals as you would like to. So I feel for him a little bit. Maybe he does need a couple of reinforcements, but for me it's just the case of trying to get over that line of the Christmas period because obviously if you go into that period with a crazy ton of injuries and we know how relentless the fixture list is when it gets to December, then you start tailing off and it can become a bit of a different story Um and it's crazy because, you know, when Everton came to Old Trafford and they got that one-all draw against us, they were really impressive in terms of defensively. But that was prior to them getting all those injuries. So I think it's just the case of biding the time, maybe getting a couple of defensive reinforcements because they have been leaking a crazy amount of calls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Watford have been killing everyone by like four or five in the last <laughs> couple of weeks. So I think they need to potentially get a couple of reinforcements in that area. But I think going forward, they just... Like I said, it's, it's a case of waiting for the recovery team to get on the case and start getting the main players back, which is, um, is always a difficult time at this time of year.
0: Is it injuries, Niall, the reason that it's not really working for Benitez at the moment? Because there were some doubts from Everton fans when he got the job, but I think the general consensus was he was going to go in there and he was going to de- do a decent job, but it doesn't really seem to have happened yet.
1: Well, he did at the start. He did do a very decent job to begin with. I think Everton were up and around the top of the league after the first five or six games, but... You know the last batch of five games has been really poor for Everton um, they, they lost some really poor games they lost to Wolves they lost to Watford they conceded five against Watford and they crumbled at Goodison Park and Goodison Park's normally a bit of a fortress for Everton um, but definitely think injuries has got something to do with it I think they've got eight injuries or injury doubts at the moment as Joel says players like Calvert-Lewin, Holgate, Decore, Uh, Richarlison as well, Yeri Mina, Tom Davis, Andre Gomez and Tamari Gray. Now, they're all players, all eight of those players that would get in an Everton matchday squad. There's no doubt about that. And you mentioned in January, what should Rafa Benitez spend his money on? I think a big old case of red wine, Jim, to be honest, because that's what I'd be drinking on the touchline to get me through this (laughs) period, because it's always tough when you've got your big players out injured. Now, I think Calvert-Lewin's been a huge miss. Um,
2: Especially because he got called up to the England squad as well. Just before that injury, he's he's starting to really... I
1: I just think people don't realise how good and how important Calvert-Lewin was last season. He really was massive for them. And I actually think in terms of a profile and an all-round striker, he's the one player in the Premier League, particularly English player, who I think is as as close to the real deal as you can get. He can head the ball, he can finish from close range. I mean, what his real skill is, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, is finishing with one touch... The amount of goals he scores, just with one touch, Mm. he very rarely, when he's in front of goal, needs to take more than one or two touches to put the ball in the back of the net. It's remarkable. Um, It's instinctive finishing, and that's what you need um, as a striker, particularly when you've got a team like Everton who don't create a million chances a game. You need someone who's between the posts to stick them away, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin does that. But you also need to look at the defensive side of things, and... Everton keep conceding goals, and that's a huge issue. And Rafa Benitez, we tend to think of him as a defensive manager, someone who can shore things up and keep things tight at the back. Well, like I said, they conceded five against Watford. They were conceding goals again at the weekend and conceding chances. So, you know, naturally, when you come up against a team like Manchester City, you are going to concede goals. They conceded three, obviously. But it's just one of those things where I think Rafa Benitez, when the going gets tough because of the nature of the way he took the Everton job and He's a former Liverpool manager and some of the abuse he received and some of the threats were were unacceptable, in my opinion. You know, he's only a man who's trying to do a job. And I still think that even though those things are unacceptable, definitely there is going to be some sort of hostility towards Benitez. I think the fuse is short with Benitez. I mean, any credit in the bank that he would have from a decent start would be eroding very, very, very quickly. Mm. So whether in January it's go and spend money, who knows? But we always say this about Everton. You know, we always say this every summer, every January, they've got to go and spend money. And they do. They spend loads of money. But they just, when do they ever get it right? Yeah. You know, they signed Alan, who was a, was a really good sign-in. Hamas Rodriguez is come and gone. was a one-season flop, I suppose you could say. He was mediocre at best. Um Dominic Calvert-Lewin, they signed from Sheffield United four years ago for pennies. And, you know, he's been one of their best signings in recent years. So... You know, you just have to look at their recruitment. Maybe I mean, Marcel Brands is the sporting director at Everton, and he's quite fondly thought of by the powers that be at the club, and indeed the fans as well in some quarters. But I just think that the track record that Everton have made in terms of signings hasn't hasn't been great.
2: Guilford uh, Siggers and fifty million, yeah, and it just doesn't he, seem to
0: work. They just don't. They, nah. they, the signings, they when you look at them, they seem like they've I mean, got They look quite quality. A Wobie, no, thirty million. million.
2: Yerry Mina, twenty five mm. million. You could go on and on. They're making crazy recruitment signings.
0: It looks like they might well splash the cash again this coming January. The window opens. (laughs) Six weeks to go until the January window opens now. And there are loads of rumors about people who could go where. There's loads of new managers in posts at the moment. And we've already said the the general consensus is when you bring a manager in at this stage, they have time to assess their squad and then potentially spend money in January. You've got Conte who wants to bring in Zanilogo, is it, from Roma. Gerrard wants to bring in Brasic from Rangers. Newcastle have got money burning a hole in their pocket. Do you think we're going to see a really busy January transfer window, particularly coming off the back of last year with the whole COVID scenario where there weren't that many transfers? Do you think this year we're going to see a whole load of money being spent in January?
2: I think potentially, especially for those sides who've just got new managers, which is quite a lot, um, I think Gerard is probably going to get a couple of additions. But I think mainly it's going to be Newcastle. Um, not in terms of going for these outlandish, like Coutinho and all of these. I think they're going to be quite smart with the recruitment. I think Eddie Howe, he's, he's a really good recruiter, as we've seen in the last few years. He's quite smart in the market. Um, and I'm sure he'll be even better with this, the funds that apparently they've got available mm. Um, But I think considering how many managers have just changed in the last months, and I think there probably will be another couple before we actually get to January, um, every manager is going to want to try and start to mould the team. But as we know, the January transfer window is a little bit strange in terms of availability. It's boring. It is. The January transfer window (laughs) is so
1: boring. Honestly, as you know, the last two summers where we've had COVID and a lot of people have said, oh my gosh, clubs have got no money. They've not had fans in stadiums. The revenue streams are down. It's costing clubs a fortune. The transfer windows in the summer aren't going to be that exciting. We've had two massive summer transfer windows. Just think of the last one, Ronaldo coming to the Premier League and the one before there was hundreds of millions of pounds spent in that transfer window. But January... Everyone gets excited about it. It's so boring. Jesse Lingard's
0: going to come back to West Ham. That's a good reason That's to get the excited. Biggest one. It's a reason it, it, enough
1: to get excited. But let me tell you about deadline day last January. Can you remember any signings from January deadline day oh, last I only year? remember Jim uh, White
2: screaming his head off in a yellow tie.
1: Well, okay. You can't think of any. And this is why. Deadline day in the Premier League. Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, Arsenal to West Brom on loan. Joe Willock, Arsenal to Newcastle on loan. Ben Davis, Preston to Liverpool for half a million. Ozen Kabak, Schalke to Liverpool on loan.
2: It's an emergency window, isn't it? There's no reason to get excited.
1: It's one of those things where I can't remember the last exciting January window there was. And the last time a big player arrived in January. Maybe Bruno Fernandes was the last big player big-name player, impact player, but he's only a big-name player now because of the impact he's made at Manchester United. Honestly, I
2: think the last one I can remember is Torres.
1: From Liverpool to yeah, Chelsea.
2: on the deadline day.
1: See, it's, it's hard in January. Virgil so van Dijk. Virgil van Dijk, oh yeah, massive signing. One, massive, that massive signing for, for Liverpool. But, you know, it, in recent years, I think people get all too caught up about the January Chancellor window. It's never big-name signings. It's always player here, player there. Yeah. Players like, no disrespect to your team, West Ham, someone like Thomas Socek, You'd imagine clubs signing a player like him in January because he's an inauspicious signing. He's been brilliant. I don't think that you signed him in January. I'm not sure whether you did or not. Maybe you did. I can't remember. I think
0: we did. I think we signed him on a six-month loan deal in January and then got him on a full deal at the end with an option to buy kind of
2: scenario, the, I think.
1: Those are the sorts of deals that you'll see. Yeah, we got Vidic and been...
2: Ever in January as well. Mm. It's the kind of signings where... But who
1: was Vidic playing for at the time? Oh, Bel- Belgrade, Artisan Belgrade yeah. or something?
2: Yeah, the, it's the kind of month where the big players are never going to leave unless it's a crazy offer because they know in the summer they can have an amazing amount of options. And especially now, there's so many players who are waiting to run their contracts down. That I feel like there'll obviously be a lot of pre contracts signed in January. It seems like that's the way football's going at the moment, where a lot of the big players are seeing that it's actually in their benefit to not sign a contract and wait until they're a free agent. So I think January, I think, and I think there's a hell of a lot of top players who are out of contracts in in the summer, uh, like Frankie Kessy's uh, one of the best players in um, mm. Serie A, who's going to be out of contract. And then you've got Kylian Mbappe, who's out of contract in the summer. There's a lot of big deals to be done um, and I think clubs are going to be hovering around that area more than the actual paying for area. I think we might see a
0: more interesting January window than we have previously. And I think we it's hope so. 100% going to be fueled and funded by Newcastle United who currently find yeah. themselves bottom of the Premier League and have got cash to spend. We'll keep you up to date with the news as and when it happens but we're going to wrap up today's podcast with a game of heroes and villains and we'll do it next on Football Social Daily.
2: Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
0: Right, last bit of today's Football Social Daily. Welcome back. We're going to pick our heroes and villains from the weekend. Who deserves a thumbs up? Who deserves a thumbs down? You can go first, Niall. You can pick your hero. Uh, my hero, who's going to come and save me, wearing his cape, his yellow
1: and green cape, Dean Smith. Uh, Dean Smith, you can't, you can't take Dean Smith away from me as your hero, job. because <laughs> he, because uh, he beat Southampton second week in a row where he's faced Southampton. Of course, last time was with Aston Villa. Eight days later, after his dismissal, he gets the Norwich job. He wasn't out of work for very long. Comes into a Norwich side who had previously won their last game before the international break against Brentford. Now that was a huge win because that. Slice the gap to safety. And I think the gap went from something like eight points to five points. And now it's even less because Newcastle United couldn't get the job done in their game at the weekend, their first game under Eddie Howe, albeit Eddie Howe wasn't there. Um, so Dean Smith with a victory over Southampton. Big win. New manager bounce. Whether that's going to continue, we'll have to wait and see. But certainly he's instilled hope. And I think what he said in his pre-match press conference was absolutely what the Norwich fans needed to hear. It was... There's 27 games to go of this Premier League season. There is a bunch of points left to play for. Let's not write ourselves yeah. off just yet. And we've all written Norwich off. I still think they'll go down, by the way. But I still think that now that Smith's come in with what he's said, that that certainly lends itself to more hope for the Norwich fans and those Norwich players. And that's Dean Smith's job, is to come in and... Instill a bit of hope and get some results and improve performances, something Daniel Farker couldn't do. And he did it at the weekend. They performed well. They beat Southampton by two goals to one. Still work to be done. Still improvements to be made. No doubt about that. But um, a big victory for Dean Smith. Well done to him. And um, long may it continue from his perspective and from Norwich's perspective, because even if they do go down, they've got a manager who knows how to get out of the championship. He's done it with Aston Villa. He was very impressive with Brentford before that as well. So I think they've made a good appointment. And according to Stuart Webber, the sporting director at Norwich, Dean Smith's been on the radar for a while. So as soon as he became available, I think that it was almost immediate contact from Norwich to Dean Smith, Mm -hmm. as if to say, come and join us. And I think it's looking like an astute appointment already, albeit after one game, it's pretty early and we'll wait and see what happens in the next couple of weeks, particularly leading up to Christmas where the fixtures get really intense and busy. But what a start for Dean Smith. So uh, an award for hero this weekend for me from the weekend's
0: games for that 2-1 Norwich win over Southampton. Next two Norwich games, Wolverhampton Wanderers at home and then Newcastle United away.
1: That's massive in two weeks, that game against Newcastle, isn't it?
0: Yeah, both those games are big. I mean, if they win the, both of those, that's four wins from four. After Suddenly, losing,
2: none of the, losing all of the last 20.
0: Very different perspective Crazy. on things. I'll give you a bit more time to rethink your hero I've if got you're got going it. Got it. it. you got, got it you're alright go on Joel you can step up I had up. a
2: reserve in place go on then um, I'm going to go with Claudio Ranieri just because I kind of felt sorry for him now that I'm reflecting on the game because I, in all the madness of you know obviously United dominated all the headlines like his Watford side played out of their skin on Sunday I mean considering yeah we were very very bad um, and I think <laughs> I told the league team probably would have turned us over on Sunday but Considering how they got absolutely thumped by Liverpool, then obviously they won Everton 5-2 and then suddenly the results started to turn. Uh, they lost at home to Southampton, lost away way to Arsenal. And then to kind of react to that against a club like United at home where they outran every single one of the United players. They looked like they had a system in place. Um, they were playing attacking football and I really like Ranieri just because I feel like he galvanises a team so well. Um, just in terms of like buying pizzas for them when they win and beers on the bus if they (laughs) score one goal like he really makes everyone feel like they're part of a family rather than just (laughs) like a collective and I want to be part of his team because I want pizzas as well it's
1: quite funny that one Italian has banned ketchup and mayonnaise at the training ground and and another has been buying pizzas (laughs)
0: so which one works (laughs) it's kind of like a similar manager and this will sound disrespectful to um, uh, Ranieri but it's almost like a similar approach to Alan Pardew. <laughs> so Alan Pardew had a habit of going into a football club and he'd make everyone feel like they were part of a team. But it would be a very short-term thing because that good feeling, that initial lift, only lasts for a set period of time. And then it's just the norm. Then it doesn't really work anymore. But also that kind of making people feel part of a team and feeling good only as a short-term effect because ultimately, eventually, it's just a boys' club. And a boys club doesn't have respect. Mm. Mm. So at some point, that initial kind of manager comes in, does really well. It works for Ranieri for a season, but you know what? It works for Watford as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Because Watford don't hold on to managers for longer than a year and a half.
1: They're only four points from safety as well. So they're going to need that stardust to continue for a little while. Yeah, obviously, 40 points is that golden magic mark, mark, and they're still some way off of that. So still work to be done, definitely.
0: Right. Ranieri is Joel's hero. My hero is Jason Steele at Brighton and Hove Albion. A very left choice. Yeah, well, considering they lost 2-0 and he was the goalkeeper, it is a bit of a controversial choice, but I actually thought he had a great game. And at the age of 31, he made his Premier League debut as his first ever game in the Premier League. And I think sometimes being a number two or a number three goalkeeper in any football team. It's like a unsung hero job. There's I remember, no Darren
1: Randolph. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember hearing an interview with Rob Green when he was at Chelsea. You remember he went to Chelsea for a yeah. season yeah, third-choice yeah, yeah, yeah. goalkeeper. And he said his job that season was sitting, watching football and drinking tea. That was like what he did. So I think what it's a bit life. of a... Yeah, it's kind of like a bit of a... You live your life in the shadows and when you get that moment to step into the limelight, you need to take it. And I think Jason still did at the weekend. I think he had a great performance against Brighton, even though they deserved to win and he put in a good performance, but they didn't win. So he is my hero from the weekend.
1: Can I add in one quick final hero? Yeah. And we can do this very, very quickly. Um, I want to mention, even though he doesn't play in the Premier League anymore, Sergio Aguero, who looks mm. like he's going to retire due to a heart problem. Um, really sad news for him. And he's a Premier League legend. He caused Joel some real... No pun intended, heartache. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I didn't want to say that. But yeah. Um, but yeah, he he obviously um, felt some issues with his heart when playing for Barcelona. A couple of weeks ago, he's since had scans and it looks like now he's going to retire. That's not officially announced yet, but what a player. Yeah, What an absolute legend of the Premier League. Some of the records he's broken have, have been unbelievable. The impact he's made for Manchester City in turning them from a decent club into a powerhouse, Um, can't be understated. So, yeah, I think we should give special mention to Sergio Aguero because in a couple of days' time, it looks like we could see an announcement that he's retiring from the game, which is really sad.
0: Arguably the best ever foreign import to the Premier League, or certainly one of the best five. And I was actually having a conversation with my son this morning. So my son has decided he's a Manchester City fan and he was getting ready for football. He's playing football tonight, had his Manchester City shirt on and he spotted the number in the back. The, what is it? 93, 20, yeah. 93, 20, and mm. so What's what's the number about? And I was like, okay, and, and <laughs> YouTube <laughs> straight up. Yeah, I was explaining the situation and the significance of Sergio Aguero. PTSD, Jim.
2: <laughs> it's very much, a,
0: very much a hero anyway from the Premier League era. Let's do villains very quickly. I'll go quickly because mine is a quick one. My villain is whoever decided to give Eddie Howe COVID. <laughs> 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 because I felt quite sorry for Eddie Howe. There's been so much made of his coming into the Newcastle job and what he might do there, and he missed. His first game in the dugout as Newcastle United manager apparently he was making calls to the dressing room and calls to the manager or the the interim or the, 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 Jason, coaches, Tindall, the assistant. Jason Tindall. Jason yeah. Tindall. Okay, mm. he was making calls to him throughout the game to mastermind a performance. But I think instantly, if you see that Newcastle game, you can see the impact that Eddie Howe's had on that team, yep. particularly making Jolinton look a half decent player, which is no mean <laughs> feat in itself. So the fact he couldn't enjoy that welcome from the St James's Park crowd as he walked into that job for the very first time, I think was a bit of a disappointment for him. So whoever gave him the vid, they are my villain, I think, for today. Who's your villain, Joel? I'm going to go with
2: Harry Maguire. I just don't think it's been his finest month at all. Um, just stemming from that celebration for England with his hands on his ears, and then next week he gets sent off. I mean, it's it's quite comedy, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, and I feel like he just needs a break from the side to just kind of get his head together. Because- Can you afford to drop him? Yes, like we, yeah, I, feel, I feel like we can because he's been the cause of well, many he's of our goals. Suspended, so you yeah, that's right. he's got yeah, no right, I think, yeah. No, honestly, I think <laughs> it's a, a good thing for us because my God, he's been. No wonder David de Gea looked absolutely distraught after that game mm. when his yeah. club captain's doing stupid stuff like that in front of him. Mm. After saving two penalties, and he gets him out of the dirt every single week when he starts trying to do these mazy runs from outside the box and does a touch which looks like a shot. So, um, I'm going to go with Harry Maguire and I pray for him that he starts to get his act together soon because he's looking an absolute liability in the United side at the moment. Do you think
0: redemption is on the cards, though? Do you think a new manager can come in and give him a lift and make him back into the player that you
2: thought you bought from Leicester City? Yeah, but let's not forget, he wasn't. For, for England, he looks like Maldini, and for United, <laughs> he looks like Titus Bramble. I mean, there's just a, it's, there's no in between. Harsh on Titus <laughs> Bramble. Shout out to Titus <laughs> Bramble. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's no like. You don't get sevens out of tens from him. He's only a four, and mainly a four because he's, I can't remember the last eight he's given us. But um, I actually think
1: he was quite good in the first half. A couple of really important tackles against Watford. A couple of goal-saving challenges. But then no one Could remembers. No
2: one remembers that when you start doing those stupid lunges, which then ended up leaving us with two goals again. Conceded. Well, I
1: understand that. I actually thought Bruno Fernandez was United's worst player at the weekend, but that's that's yeah, another yeah. conversation.
2: I think now clean slate we go for it Maguire can have a a week off um, and he needs it because he's not had the best week at all and he's made himself look quite Mm. silly after that England kind of uh, celebration where a striker after not scoring for 20 games does that celebration (laughs) not a defender although I think I, I felt
0: he was hard done by for that celebration I thought there was more of a meal made out of it than
2: maybe should be. But then it looks more comedic now after he gets sent off the yeah, following it does week. A little bit. On, that,
0: Take us home, Niall. Final villain of the piece. The harshest villain of the day would
1: go to Raheem <laughs> Sterling at Manchester City. Now, hear me out here because he did score in mm-hmm. their victory over Everton and actually played pretty well. And obviously, there are suggestions that he could be leaving Manchester City in the summer um, to, to maybe explore new avenues. A club abroad, perhaps, is certainly what's been talked about. But he missed one of the easiest chances I've seen all season in the game against Everton. It was in the last 15 minutes. uh, City had the counter-attack. The ball was beautifully played on the inside channel. I can't remember who it was on the overlap, but the ball came across from the sort of right-wing position and he was six yards out, unmarked. All he had to do was tap the ball beyond Jordan Pickford and um, he couldn't do it. Mm. And he is the most frustrating
0: player... In the Premier League. If you've not seen the replay, it is a tap in. And it's almost like he wants to take a touch and take it round the keeper, but he doesn't need to because he's got an open net in front of him and can just side foot it in. I don't understand the the thinking there. So he is a superb player. He's an excellent player.
1: It's not denigrating his qualities as a player. He's a very, very good player. You know, one of the best we've seen in the Premier League. 300 appearances. 98 goals. I mean, in terms of in recent years in the Premier League, I'm not saying he's like an all-time Premier League great, particularly if he leaves, then then maybe that will be up for debate. But 300 appearances, that was his 300th game against Everton, 98 goals. Imagine how many goals he could have if he actually could finish. He's, he's honestly, he's one of the worst finishers I've seen in a long, long time. And everyone knows it. City fans know it, probably the staff know it, probably Raheem knows it as well. And it's it's just one of those things that if he could add that finishing to his game, he would be. And he is when he's on, on his game and he is finishing well. He is one of the best players in the Premier League, if not in Europe. But he can't finish from six yards. It's not the first time that I've seen him do that
2: there has been oh, big okay. occasions in the Champions League. They, they they probably could have won it that year uh, when there was no fans. And that last kick of the game, he missed in Guardiola's face. He said the picture of why he's this so guy missed so many. Yeah, Can you coach that into a game though? Can you coach that into a player? But he's only twenty six.
0: But but it's it's what's the? Is It's not a technique thing though, is it? It's a, it's a mental you've thing. Got to be, it's decision yeah, making. Yeah, it's, I mean, that was pure decision making. Like I was saying game. earlier about Dominic, Dominic Calvert
1: Lewin, just
2: shoot. Mm.
1: Just hit the ball, kick the ball. He does
2: try and shoot, but it doesn't go in the net. (laughs) Well,
1: even even the amazing put ball from uh, Joao Cancelo for
2: Sterling's first goal.
1: Yeah, I'm still not convinced he meant to stick the ball there, Raheem Sterling.
2: Sterling's a very instinctive. (laughs) I don't think he
1: cleanly connects with that ball. When
2: when he has too much time to think, it's almost as if he doesn't. He he can't decide where he needs to go. When it's instinctive, he's he's a great finisher.
1: Go and hang out with someone like Ian Wright. I know Ian Wright's a Fair bit older and hasn't played in the Premier League for years. But he's always used to say something on TV when he goes through one-on-one, just go cold. That's what he would tell himself. Go cold. Turn to ice. Forget about everything. Don't think about anything. Just go cold. And he would just finish the ball off. And Ian Wright was very, very good at one-on-ones. Raheem Sterling, not so much. I just, I don't understand why he made such a meal of it was he off balance did he fall over it's only one chance in one game it's a game in which he scored and it's going to come across really harsh and it's it harsh, quite harsh. It's, it's harsh to call him a villain for the for the weekend and
2: do you think the coaching it, side spotted it
1: it's more from frustration i'm so frustrated and i have no affiliation to manchester city whatsoever but he could just be an unbelievably better player mm. if he could finish 98 goals in 300 games 51 assists the numbers are there he could be on 125 goals by now if he could actually finish mm. So that would be, for me, the frustration with Raheem Sterling. I'm interested to know what City fans actually think, because I'm sounding quite frustrated here and exasperated. And I'm not, as I say, in any way affiliated to Manchester City at all. So if there are any City fans out there listening to the show, am I being harsh? Am I right? Is he a bad finisher? Or is it just from what I've seen and what I remember? I want to know. Um, So anyone that can get in touch on Twitter at the Sports Social let us know, let me know, because um, it, it's been bugging me for a while now. And I didn't want to give him the villain of the piece for this weekend because he scored and City won 3-0. But you can't miss chances like that. And it's lucky that City creates so many, because if they didn't, like Joel says, and he misses in the last minute of a Champions League game to send them through, I mean, that's where, that's where the frustration comes from. So, yeah, um, sorry, Raheem, you played very well apart from that moment. But uh, why do you keep missing chances? What's the reason?
0: It is a bit harsh, but I'd love to hear the views of Man City as well. Man City fans, at the sports social on Twitter, you can get us there. Or you can leave a review on this podcast and leave your comments there as well, because that is it for today's show. Cole Palmer, by the way, looked absolutely superb in that game, I thought. Real talent. Could have given
1: the hero to James McAtee as well, who came on off the bench, made his City debut and uh, was only on for about five minutes um, and looked really good. Yeah, (laughs) And then forced Gary Neville to say that they were all clones of each other. All of the City players, um, which I thought was quite a nice line of commentary, but... Yeah, they've they've really built something there at City and they've got some young players coming through that look really good.
0: When you buy every single decent young player in England, you're going to turn up a couple of decent (laughs) ones, aren't you? The odds are there. Uh, That is it for Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for your time listening. Appreciate your ears. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Get the next one as soon as it's ready. We'll be back again tomorrow with no doubt more news on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's replacement at Manchester United. And we'll see you then.